This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Stephen Lubka. Stephen is a managing director, head of private client and family offices at Swan Bitcoin. He's a you know, macro Bitcoin expert. He's also a walking and sunshine maximalist. So on this episode, we mostly talked about sunshine, your light environment, circadian health, talked a little bit about Bitcoin at the end, but it's a really cool conversation and we tied in health and decentralization. So this was a great conversation with Steven. Let's dive in. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. We have Steven here on the line. Steven, how's it going? It's great, my friend. It's going never, never a dull day uh, lately, but going great. This is a much anticipated conversation, I would say, and yeah, really looking forward to getting this out to you guys that are listening to all the folks on Bitcoin Twitter. So Stephen and I have been kind of going back and forth about the sun and the importance of sunlight and getting outside and walking and all that and trying to educate the Bitcoiners. So it's kind of been actually really fun. But yeah. there has have been some naysayers, of course, as well. And it's crazy. I think every day I see some new big account. Like yesterday, like Nick Carter was, was talking about this. And I was just, Airy Paul was defending sunscreen or something or adding some context. So it's just really funny to me. Um, it, it, I guess it's good. Um, it always gets tough when you get into this, like, you know, we're all Bitcoiners, but then people try and give a bunch of health recommendations and stuff like that. So I guess, how did you get into this? What is your journey of walking outside and learning about the importance of sunlight and, and natural living? Let's start there. You know, let me put a pin in that because I want to comment okay. on what you just said on okay, yeah. pointers and health advice. And because I've been thinking about this lately and this just kind of bubbled up for me recently. In my opinion, Bitcoin is not only a technology, right? It's not only like a, you know, a technology and a money and an asset and an industry, but I've come to believe it's a cultural movement. And I, w- I won't try to define that based on the content as in what Bitcoiners believe or what the cultural movement about is about. I actually think trying to do that doesn't help one understand it. But I think the better way to understand it is that Bitcoiners are concerned and questioning our cultural assumptions. And maybe different people come to different conclusions. There's a lot of debate and argument. I'm not saying everyone believes the same thing, but the Bitcoin community in many ways is a group of people that is very willing to question and explore are our current cultural assumptions. And when I say cultural assumptions, I can mean anything from recommendations on sun exposure to food, to physical lifestyle, to, you know, anything else, to how we think about knowledge, to how we navigate political organization. But uh, we live in an era where I think there is so little questioning going on and especially like high quality questioning. There's of course, 
reactionary contrarianism that's just like knee-jerk and not thought through, but true inquiry, true dialogue of, you know, of these things. And uh, I'll kind of give an example here of why I think that's so important. So in 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 some of these, uh, the contention you were talking about on, on Bitcoin Twitter, right? Like there's often a, like some of the pushback on the sun stuff will be, well, this contradicts this body of research. There's this body of research and what you're saying uh, essentially goes against that. And so let's unpack that for a second. So, okay, what is the research about? Well, it's about human health. And so if you're saying I'm wrong and the research is correct, you're implicitly saying the research is correct about how to do health or how to be in good health. And People are following this research, so then it's fair to ask the question, are they healthy? So if the research is right and people are following the recommendations, then people should be very healthy right now. And they're not. Like disease rates are skyrocketing, uh, skin cancers are skyrocketing, melanoma is skyrocketing, diabetes is skyrocketing. So if people are following the recommendations of the literature and they're not healthy, how do you square that circle, right? We, we have to question, We have, especially when the modern recommendations throw out thousands of years of evolutionary history, right? Like, And so I see Bitcoiners as a group of people that gets that. And there's this cultural revision, like this, this force of cultural revisionism that I'm so passionate about. And like, you know, I was in the Bitcoin community as a Bitcoiner. And then to, to finally answer your question, like these other interests, which uh, I, I was actually really into all of these things far before I discovered Bitcoin and kind okay. of midway through my Bitcoin you know, experience, I realized that this was a community that was really open to those discussions. And so I started talking about it more. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think the whole issue with some Bitcoiners is I think they're very siloed and like, that's all they know. And it's like, you know, we fix the money, we fix the world. Sure. But like, there's other aspects of decentralization, health being like one of the main ones that is extremely being extremely important if you want to be outside of the system and be more empowered as an individual. So 100% aligned on there. And and that's why we've seen, you know, the carnivore movement, the seed oil free movement, like this has all been like pretty prevalent in the Bitcoin space. And it's also because diet is just easy. It's easier to wrap your head around it. But again, the same principles apply, like, you know, the proof is that we are more sick and we have more chronic disease. Um, that's not debatable in any facet. So yeah, if we were listening to the recommendations, which Bitcoiners have no problem, you know, opposing like the dietary recommendations and, and that's why they've embraced the carnivore seed oil movement, seed oil free movement. But then talking about things like the sun and more esoteric things that are kind of conceptually like harder to grasp for the average person i think it it does get lost in some degree but i think a lot of people are resonating quite well with it so i do think it's really important and i think that we need to keep pushing the movement of cultural decentralization onwards and that's why i love this stuff that's why i wrote a book about the bridge between the two and it's cool you talk to these people who are starting to get into this stuff into hunting and you know homesteading and that, that's why we started this podcast. So um, totally agree. 
we need a we need a revitalization and you can look at history and you can look at societies rising and falling you can look at cultures you can look at moments of revitalization you know where we are today the cultural engine has been co-opted by bureaucracy and it has become non-dynamic and non-adaptive so when we live in a society where uh we have these like tremendous mass communication channels, this mass media, we have the ability for one person to send a message to every human being on the planet. Now that can be in a really positive way, which is like probably what we're talking, like we're here broadcasting, right? Like I can do it. You can do it. Anybody can do it. That's the internet. That's like a really positive version of this. And I would say uh, the much more dangerous, maybe not inherently negative, depending on how you use it, but the much more risky version is like the kind of centralized like mass media cable news like you know where a very small uh you know pool of influence can just dictate this very broad messaging and so like if culture flows downstream from movies from media from music and those industries have become enormously centralized that's changing right like podcasts got big and you know i think it is actually like quite literally decentralizing i don't say that to like harp on the word decentralization it just quite literally is what's happening uh podcast was decentralized you know publishing that's what it was yeah Uh, it's moving the needle back sort of in the direction because it's gone so far to the centralized direction and so like if culture flows downstream from that then it's, a, it's effectively bureaucracy that is setting culture. And you can look at this like everything's repeats, everything's remakes. Like, you know, it's just Thor 2, Thor 3, Thor 4, Thor again, revamp. Like the, the old Thor, new again. Um, nothing's new. Nothing's dynamic. And it's because the engine has just decayed. It's been completely all the all the the mitochondria ain't spinning, man. There's no ATP being generated. Um, and so we need that revitalization. And it comes from the edges. It comes from the fringe. No, I totally agree. I think I talk about this with my friends a lot. I think there's such a void of culture in this country like right now. And I, I can see that, you know, the Bitcoin movement being, yeah, seen as like a cultural movement because it's something, you know, we have all these principles that we share, the values are are shared and we want to empower people and move forward and progress in this direction. And, and that's a cultural movement. Whereas, you know, the average member of society, they're just going with the flow. They're not, they're just not consciously really living anymore. They're so devoid of life and purpose. Um, you know, religion is, is a sense of purpose and culture. And I'm not arguing pro or against it, but that's, you know, a, a sense of culture and, and historical reason or historical, you know, context in in many places of course and and that's all gone so there's really and that's where you get all these social i guess like chaos that goes on right like these you know just social you know arguments virtue signaling wokeness all this is going on because people just don't really have any culture to pride themselves on so they start talking about all this other shit that just doesn't really matter and and it's just a giant distraction, in my opinion. Yeah, no. And I, I completely agree with what you said on religion. And I, I don't say this to contradict it, but just to push it a little further. I would even go as far to say that 
and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, like religion isn't gone because man must worship. I say that in a broad sense, in a non-theistic sense, but like religion is so inherent. Religion has been substituted. It has been substituted from the traditional religions to the media, the, you know, bureaucracy to scientism, to all of these things. Like it's just the religious impulse in man has been redirected to uh, an unsuitable container, something devoid of, uh, again, I I don't, I don't say this in a, in a, in a like inherently non-materialist or materialist sense, but to uh, something which lacks transcendence, which, which lacks transcendent virtue. There's nothing to aspire to there, whether you want to conceptualize that as something uh, metaphysical or something just like the good, the true, the beautiful, the strong. But those notions have just been entirely broken down. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. No, totally. And I think it's it's kind of led to people not thinking really freely at all. They're just trusting, trusting the science and trusting the bureaucratic recommendations. And, and that's how we got into all this mess. But I guess, yeah, let, let's start to dive in. So you yeah. kind of said you were, you were into this stuff beforehand, before you got into Bitcoin. So talk about that a little bit, how you discovered, you know, just health being important and uh, yeah. how that kind of evolved over maybe your young adult life. Absolutely. So for me, and I think for most people, one only comes to health by knowing non-health, by knowing losing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody care. like, like a healthy person never thinks of health, right? It's like a fish thinking of water, right? Like the only reason anybody ever comes to health is they had some sort of issue. They had some sort of problem, something got disrupted. And that was certainly the case for me. Um, I grew up, I was a vegetarian the first 18 years. I was super thin as a child. I, uh, you're raised vegetarian. I was raised vegetarian. I didn't eat meat like basically at all until I was 18. Um, fish or anything or no, Uh, well dairy, like, so dairy, Dairy. okay. Not, you know, not meat. Uh, but still it's like, you know, it gets skewed. It's a lot of just grains, a lot of carbs. Um, I, I mean, I eat carbs now, but, um, it just is, it was very low in protein. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I grew up in that way. I, uh, you know, on the computer a ton as a kid, like video games, all that sort of stuff. So like, I didn't have like a, like a solid physical baseline. Right. And so, you know, just issues from that migraines and just, you know, not, 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 not vitality. Right. And, um, you know, through that and a few other things, like, I kind of, you know, when I was like 19, I kind of realized like, whoa, this is not working. Like I I need to kind of figure this out. And that took me on a journey, right? Like you can't approach the health topic right now uh, or, you know, 10 years ago without being, oh, it's veganism. You got to be vegan. You got to do juicing. You got to do this. You got to do that. Right. Like, so I, I went down that rabbit hole, man. I went down, I tried all the things I, you know, did yoga. I did that. I did weightlifting. I started eating meat. Meat made me feel, I mean, tremendously better. I mean, that was a, that was a revelation. And, you know, I, I eat meat filler every meal now. Um, and you know, so, you know, I kind of went down that rabbit hole and then probably, so 
walking, I came to kind of very naturally. And like, I just started, I started, you know, walking a little bit more. I wanted to get outside. I wanted to get off the computer and, um, I just felt, felt good. I mean, it's, it's very simple. It's an incredibly self-reinforcing habit. And that's what I tell people. It's not like trying to build up the discipline to go, you know, deadlift twice a week and then chest day and then go for a run and then, you know, climb a mountain like you fucking do. Um, you know, like that takes a lot of like, not just discipline, but like prerequisites. Like most people don't have like joints that are, that are stable enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most people don't have joints, which are even prepared enough. Uh, you know, one thing I actually got certified in this method called functional range conditioning along the way, which is now used by the NFL, the NBA, NASA, incredible system for training and joint preparation. But most people's joints don't function for shit. And so like, they're not even prepared to do that. So they go in the gym and they start working out and their back hurts and their knee, get, their knee has a problem. And they just, they just can't, they can't do it. Like there's a lot of baseline that has to be built up, but walking is for 99% of people is not like that. It's easy. It doesn't require a lot of discipline. And the thing is, is it just feels good and it reinforces itself and you can walk for fucking eight hours a day if you want to you can't deadlift for eight hours a day right like there's a if 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 the thing we're trying to address is people being sedentary like you can only go max effort weightlift for so long in a day and then if you're going to go sit on the couch well there's an issue there like there's a there's an optimization that isn't present so i'm very pro walking because i think it's something anybody can do obviously later i came to know you're also getting the sun, which is probably a huge reason why you feel good when you're doing it. Like it's not going to be the same on a treadmill in a gym, but it gets you outside. It gets you in the sun. It gets you moving. It's incredibly self-reinforcing. And it's just the, the most effective way to limit the total hours you spend sitting. Like, you know, gyms are not going to do that. Um, and, you know, walking is essentially, you know, your option there. Um, so I got really into that. I did that. And so I've walked for you know, over a decade now, it probably at first three or four miles a day. Now it's like 10 to 13 miles a day. I mean, like I haven't missed a day in a decade, like more or less, maybe I was really sick once, but like, you know, apart from that, I've done this for basically a decade. It changed my life. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think it's really funny when you're like, I've been walking for a decade. It's like, people are like, yeah, no shit, me too. But no, it's, it's actually like, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And I really like what you said, like, it's, it's not that hard, right? Like, there's no prerequisites. Like, if you can walk, you know, 100 meters, you could walk, you know, 10 miles if you really wanted to. And it's important because I think there are so many issues with like the exercise culture that we have today it's uh just go to the gym just get it done doesn't matter you know 4 a.m like find the time which is good it's like that mindset sure but it it turns a lot of people off to it they get in the gym they have no idea what the hell to do they don't have this ramp up of like you know functional mobility or strength through length or anything that's required to actually do some of these complex movements they just see guys on the internet who are taking steroids uh, and in reality, they don't even need to do like half those movements if they just like learn how to do some push ups, some pull ups, you know, squats deeply and just walked. Like they probably cover like 90% of their the bases. They wouldn't have to go to a gym. They could then do it maybe outside as well. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because 
yeah, so many of these functional movements we've, especially as adults, like, you know, we had them as children. If you look what kids do naturally, they run, they squat, they crawl, they climb, they're just running around in these deep positions. And then we just get rid of that. You know, we don't do that. You know, if you're an athlete, maybe you, you did some of these movements longer than others. Um, but you know, even myself, you know, as a college athlete, once I stopped playing kind of, I had this multi-year gap where I had to regain and retrain so many of these functional movements because it's crazy how you literally don't even realize that like I played a sport every day, probably from like when I was six to 21, that's 15 years of moving functionally every single day. And then when I take two, three years off and then I'm 25, 26, 27, I'm like, wow, like I can't just go show up to a basketball court or a soccer field and just like play a game without really struggling and then feeling sore for like three days. Like, how did I do this all the time? Well, it's because I did it for 15 years straight with, you know, one or two off days a month max. And uh, people take that for granted. So I wanted to highlight that, but also the walking thing. So like, why is walking really important why is moving passively so i think modern society right we try and fit exercise into like an hour because it's more convenient and then we can do like everything else but ancestrally and why i've been thinking a lot about this because i've gotten back into trail running and, and i really enjoy hiking and it's like ancestrally we didn't move intensely for long periods of time we moved very passively for long like all day long and that was like our endurance was our best attribute for hunting. Yeah. And then, of course, there was some periods of intensity. But, yeah, have you thought about that as well? Like how that makes sense? 100%. No, one, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, exercise in that modern sense of like I'm going to carve out an hour of my day after my desk job to go to the gym. It's the it's the junk food of movement. I mean, that, <laughs> That's fucking junk food. Like it's, and, and like you know, it, it's sure if that if it's that or nothing. Sure, do it. Like it's better than nothing. But you know, when you think about it in terms of the human organism, and you think about it in terms of like, like organismically, evolutionarily, what what is this? What am I? Like, you you come to this conclusion that. Like you, it was constant movement. It was constant movement. Like you did not sit down statically during the day. Like it just didn't, maybe if you needed a little rest because you'd been walking for three hours or you went or for meals, like, yeah, right, like meals or, you know, whatever. Like, it's not like neurotic, but like, what, what the fuck were you going to do? You're just going to sit there on the forest floor, like staring at your stomach for hours. There, there was no passive entertainment. There was no, like you, you moved, you did stuff. And, and that's what your system is designed to do. And it, it goes to your point of like, you did this every day for 15 years and then you took three years off and it's like, whoa, it's a completely different experience. Like the body responds so well to consistency right? Like it requires, it's, it's not something you can like biohack in many ways, like depending on how you define that it requires, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, you need to restructure. It's not about getting your discipline in a box and carving out an hour or two to do all the good. I'm going to, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to do an infrared sauna. I'm going to go like, you know, fucking pranayama and like, cool, do that for two hours back to the couch. Like, no, you, you need to just rip the fucking cord 
and restructure the way you live. It needs to be a lifestyle. And that's not me like advocating this like insanely intense, like, you know, yeah, you know, Yako, like Wilcox or whatever his name is, like, we're just gonna fucking weight lift all day. No, it's, it's, you need to engineer, like I work outside, I walk, I do my calls for my job while walking, like, it's, it needs to feel seamless. It need because if you look at like hunter gatherers, and you look at our evolutionary history, they were just living their life. They weren't thinking about these notions of exercise and mo- like it was it was just self it was in service of something. It was in service of survival. It was in service of protection of community. There was a purpose. And I just don't believe that humans can like easily psychologically sustain the level of consistency that is required if it's just like a like a discipline practice. Like sure, some rare few people with insanely strong discipline muscles can, but that's not a solution for everybody. Like you need to just rebuild. You got to rebuild your lifestyle from the ground up. But here's the positive for people listening that it sounds like I'm like saying like, yeah, just fix fucking everything, bro. Just just completely tear your whole life out and like rebuild who you are. Here's the positive. Here's why it's doable and it's not this like you know, insane, like Herculean feet. It's because every single step of the way, if you do the right things, you feel better now. It feels good now. You want to keep doing it because you feel good. And this is a a thing I get into with some like healthy, like healthy habits. And like when people sometimes be like, oh, it's so hard to maintain these health habits. And it's like, well, do you feel good when you do it? Like, no, I, I actually feel like shit when I juice 10 pounds of kale and drink it. Yeah, maybe because that's not fucking good for you, man. And that's why you don't feel good. Like everything I do, I literally feel better today immediately for doing it. And so I want to do it more. You have a like innate reward system in your body that's like, ooh, son, I'm going to generate natural opioids. Feels good, man. I want more. Yeah, I mean, like I have a pretty red... You hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I was on mute for a sec. Um, I have a pretty regimented life to probably the outsider, but to me it's like it's so easy because the things I do, they make me feel so good. And actually the things, like when I don't feel good is when I can't do those things as much and when I do have to travel or be on, you know, meetings more or screens more and, you know, doing the traditional work. And, like, I know those are the things that are bringing me down, whereas – if I'm outside all day, walking, moving, hiking, working out, swimming, whatever, I mean, I, that's like the best day in, in the world for me. And it's like, that's not even, yeah, negotiable. The food I eat, you know, it's just, you know, real food and it tastes great and it makes me feel good. Like it's, it's really simple. Um, but I think for the average person, there's usually some sort of threshold where they just, you know, they can't give up their corporate job or that's in the office or they can't give up their social scene on the weekends instead, you know, going for you know long walks on the beach or, or hikes in nature. So I think there's a lot of apprehension from that. Um, so it's just people need to realize that they don't have to change everything at once as well. You know, like you're saying, kind of build up to it, you know, go for a daily lunchtime walk. Everyone, at least, you have time in the morning, 
you have time during your lunch break and you have time after work. Like you, you have time to just go outside and walk and whatnot. You just need to, you know, make, make more time. hundred percent. No, you don't have to change it all at once. I mean, for me, this was a decade long process, right? Like I didn't start here. Like, uh, you know, I probably took like two walks a day in the beginning I, I, I walk at least a mile every hour while the sun is up. Like I, you know, I have, I have the receipts to prove it. Like I just, I just walk. It's just my lifestyle. Like I, you know, um, but I didn't start there. I didn't start there at all. Start with a uh, two walks a day, start with getting a little sun in the morning, sun in the evening, you know, 10 minute lunch break. Like you don't have to do it all at once, but you want to move in the direction of a, of a lifestyle. And yeah, I get it. The job thing's hard. I, I have empathy and sympathy for people that their family's relying on them to earn a certain amount of money and they've been in a certain career and, you know, they're making good money or maybe they're not making so good money, but they don't have any other options. And I feel, I feel that it, it, yeah, man, you don't like, don't burn the bridges, like, but start planning, start thinking, do what you can given your circumstances. And I mean, really all you need is a remote job. So at this point in, in society, so just take the steps. Maybe it takes you a year, maybe it takes you two years to get in that position where you can have a remote job and you can build a workstation outside and you can have a different flow to your lifestyle, but you can do that. Like, you know, you know, not, not, not everybody, you know, unfortunately, right. Like, you know, until we, I don't know if we ever will, like don't have night shift jobs and don't have like certain stuff that needs to happen. But like, we're not, we don't have to rebuild society here. We're talking to individuals. You as an individual can make this choice and just move towards it. It's one step at a time. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, it's, it's a journey, not a destination. And like, you know, the, the good news is that like, the more you do, the more energy you will have to do. It's incredibly self-reinforcing. Yeah. And, you know, this low time preference, right, in a, in a nutshell. And yeah, obviously, we're, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and, and macro stuff. That'll help you out, right? So, you know, plan for, you know, three to five years where you want to be. What do you want to achieve? Like, look, look yourself in the mirror, you know, that's who, who do you want to become and, and just work towards that every day. I think that's more important than setting like, you know, these individual goals that you're just going to hit and then you hit them and it's like, okay, now what, but really what's, what's the long-term vision you have. So I think all that's, yeah. Yeah. And further, it's like the sorts of capabilities and the qualities which are both asked of and strengthened in the process of doing this, you know, are thinking for yourself, reordering your life, gaining autonomy, learning on new topics that are not being spoon-fed to you. These are skills and tendencies that not only will strengthen you as like a whole person, but ultimately I believe and have found will actually make you like way more capable in the workplace and in your professional life. So there's a way that these things synergize. Also, just having your fucking brain work better, having your energy levels better, you're going to perform better. So even by doing this, your professional opportunities broaden. Like, you know, you can go into a different industry. You can learn new things. I'm an avid generalist. I believe very wholeheartedly in being a generalist. 
I think there's a great quote, specialization is for insects. Like we're not meant to just be these like narrow specialists that only know one thing. That's not a way to live a life. Um, you can learn new things. You can pivot. You can go into different fields. You can, you can rebuild yourself. You can remake yourself. I mean, you know, even the notion of yourself is a constantly changing contextual thing. We're not these static people. Um, you're not fixed. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. That's, oh, wow. There's so many great points right there. So for sure, I just lose my mind when I just can't comprehend, especially I have friends, you know, they're just traditional, like degenerates who, but they're really high functioning degenerates who just, you know, startups, whatever, finance, and, and they're taking Adderall, doing a lot of coke. And I'm just like, guys, like, like you could just be healthier and be more productive and your performance will be a lot higher. And they're like, no, 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 you know, we're just grind now and we'll chill later. Right. When we, when we get the bag and all this stuff. And to me, it's just insane because you know, the, I, I have such like a, a regimented lifestyle to the average person, but like I'm doing so many different things and I'm super big. I mean, I've been like being well-rounded has been my strong suit for like my entire life, actually. Like that was like the high school, you know, who's who that I, I won. And to this day, I still don't even know what's like the topic I know the most about. And it's, it's cool talking to someone like you as well. Like, you're, you know, obviously really knowledgeable about the financial, the, the macro markets, Bitcoin. But here we are talking about health, you know, mindset, exercise, ancestral living and uh and sunlight and that's what decentralization i think is all about obviously there's certain skills that like you know electrician you know carpentry yeah. things that you're never gonna really have that trade level knowledge i mean you can have the you know fundamentals but that could be shared within your community but the things that are most important and i got out of college and i was like i wrote a book on health and wealth theoretically because i was like well, these are like the two most important things to learn about. Why would you not want to know more about these topics? Because that's foundationally how you're going to have a more, you know, successful life in, in, in my opinion. And I just, yeah, to me, it's, it's a mystery why that mindset's not shared. I know there are a lot of high performing people who do, you know, are getting more and more into health. And I, I, I like seeing this trend. I think obviously there's a lot of misinformation out there, but foundationally you can do so many, like I'm doing so many different things right now and it's because I'm performing high because of my health. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it plays into everything. Like people, people don't even really know what it's like to have good energy levels. Like I, I can go constantly. I can focus constantly. I can like, I don't, I can eat a giant bowl of, carbs and I don't feel tired after and I don't like I don't crash from caffeine like none of this stuff happens to me and it's not that I'm it's that wasn't always the case it's not that I'm just like 
genetically blessed or something, right? Like even though, and even that concept, like genes are flux, like genes change, like, you know, the, the light controls half of your genes have a circadian, you know, measure, like they're controlled by light. So, so even like the very notion of like this fixed genetic thing isn't true, but it's, it wasn't just that it was inherent to me. It happened over time. I used to, you know, get tired. I used to have those things happen. I just don't anymore. People don't even know what it's like to have good energy, good focus, good, you know, cognition, like it's, they're operating at such a deficit and then they're reaching for crutches because, well, they recognize that something isn't working right. And that's a true recognition. Like your buddies that are taking Adderall and stuff to work, they do recognize something true about themselves. And it's that like their cognition and focus and energy isn't that great. And so they just have the wrong solution or at least, uh, you, you know, what I would say is the wrong solution. They're very aware and, and, and they're not shy about it either. That's why I respect them. They're not playing like victim mentality, which I think a lot of most people do. It, it's just easier, right? It's easier to drink more coffee or take a pill and change your whole lifestyle. But you're just putting a bandaid on a bandaid on a bandaid. And it's like, for me, the crutches, yeah, like even coffee, like I feel like a lot of health influencers, I'm like, you really want to know how you feel like raw dog life for like a month like no coffee no stimulants no supplements and you will find out what your vitality is truly like you will find out the status of your mitochondria and how your energy production is going and then you can try and build up from there and you know once you're feeling better then yeah add these things back into your life that's that's what i did for like three years and now i still don't really drink coffee but i'm considering you know doing it like once a week or something to really like you know be more productive because it, it, it can be a tool and you know you want to do a lot of things but that i think that could be you know powerful is just raw dog it and you'll find out yeah how how resilient you actually are and, and how how vital your your baseline is yeah so that's an interesting yeah so in some ways it reminds me of like you don't want to cover up your weaknesses uh a parallel i'd give on this is like say you're deadlifting right you want to be a good deadlifter you want to deadlift 500 pounds so you go you start training deadlifting you know you get up to you know 300 and uh you know you start having some knee stuff you start having some back stuff you start like whatever it's minor stuff like it's not a big deal normally you just kind of focus on it kind of train it up no big deal Instead, what you do is you inject a steroid into the muscle. You no longer feel it. You just keep going. What happens in a year or two? You have a back injury. You have a knee injury. You have Because you covered up the sensation, the pain signal, the evidence of weakness, the evidence of something not working right. You said, ooh, something's not working right. Let me just paper it over so I don't have to like experience the discomfort. And then you get like a much bigger problem down the road. And so like very much agree with you there. Like if you're using, you know, you're using coffee or using whatever, like whatever it is, and you're just like kind of covering up, pushing past, like obscuring these things, like that's, that's to your detriment. Like you need to take a look at like, what's really going on in your system. That being said, I drink a, I drink a half cup of coffee in the morning. Why? Well, cause it's pleasurable. Like it's not even like a performance thing. Like I like coffee. Like it feels good. It's a, it's one of life's pleasures. I don't really do much else. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't do any drugs. I don't smoke. I don't, I don't drink. I drink zero alcohol. I like coffee. 
And but that's a, like that's a choice. You had a tweet that was similar to this. It was like some dude AirPods, and you were like, once yeah, you yeah. know, you can just choose. Like you just you need to have the knowledge to choose. And and that's the thing. Like if you're just like blindly covering everything up, that's bad. But you know if you're in a good state and like you know what you're doing, you know what you want to work on, like you know you you can you can make a conscious choice that hey, I enjoy this thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna consume this thing. And yeah. It's your life. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we want you to be empowered, but we we want you to have the education to, you know, yeah. make the right decision what in your context, right? The the right decision is is just like for you. It's not for anyone else. So, Correct. can't tell you how to live, but it's obvious that so many people are, you know, they're not honest with themselves. They're not aware fundamentally of, you know, the impacts and detriments of of all these things, all these modalities. So yeah, once you're empowered through education, you can do whatever the hell you want. I don't, I don't really care. And I agree with you. And I, I love, you know, coffee is, is definitely a pleasure of life. And, and there are other things, you know, that, you know, I, I gave up for a period of time. And now that I'm, you know, have my health fully back and, and very resilient, I'm like thinking about, you know, introducing them back into my life. But that's the brilliance of it, you know, and, and you are your own individual um, when you have that. So you have more flexibility and, and, and that's what it's all about. But I kind of want to pivot. Oh, you, if you want to add more. And like, there literally is no right answer. It's not that yeah. like, oh yeah, you can choose to do this like kind of suboptimal thing because you're resilient. No, like there literally is no right answer. Like people's bodies are so variable. Like, like I'm highly carb tolerant. Like I'm, I'm a tall guy. I was always lean. Like if I'm going to build mass, like I can, I can pound carbs, like no detriment other people, like that's just not their system. And like, you know, I think we can do things to make ourselves more resilient, but like that's, that works for me. That might not work for someone else. Some people are really sensitive to caffeine. Some people aren't. Some people are allergic to fucking mangoes. Like biology is like incredibly varied. Um, and there really is no right answer. Sure. There's some basics. There's some basic fundamentals. Like, you know, no one's, no one's adapted to live in a dark cave staring at a computer screen, but you know, like within, like, if you don't have these like edge cases, you ultimately like need to learn the basics and then figure out what's true for you. Nobody else can tell you that nobody else knows what works for you on a, on a really fine tuned level. So it's not just that, like, you know, you can afford to do a few suboptimal things. It's that like, you literally need to discover what works for your system and what doesn't. Yeah. It, it's all context. Right. And it's like, you're in Florida, you're in the sun all the time walking, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, you have sun all year round. So yeah, like you should have no problem with carbs too. Plus like your background and everything. And you know, we're like younger, active males. Should we be listening to Mark Hyman and Joe Mercola? You know, they're 60, just trying to like live longer and just got into like weightlifting and stuff. No, I don't need to listen to them. There's things, there's bits and pieces of information that they say that might be helpful for me to understand, but I'm not just going to follow what they do. It just doesn't make any sense. They're 60, I'm 27. So in the context is is everything. So that's that's what I think. Don't get lost in that. Your your situation is is totally unique. So that's a very important point. I'm gl I'm glad you mentioned that. But I kind of want to get more into the sun stuff. So it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, what is your? No, this has been great. 
you know, say I'm Joe Schmo wearing sunglasses, living in New York City in a high rise, 20th floor, you know, just staring at screens all day. You know, how do you how do you convince the average normie or Bitcoiner, I guess? So they're they're not just normies. They're at least uh, advanced <laughs> to, to the Bitcoiner stage. So good. Good on them. How do you how do you convince the average Bitcoiner that, you know, sunlight matters? It's, it's not toxic. And uh how it's helped you become more optimal human. Every single cell, every organ, every system, your endocrine axis, your your neurotransmitters, your body's cycles of repair and rebuild and protection, everything is circadian linked. What it means to be circadian linked, it means our biology and all biology on this planet evolved in a light dark cycle. There are countless animal and plant examples of things which literally do not function if you break that cycle, Uh, like plants that don't flower, animal processes that don't happen, reproductive processes. Every single organism on this planet is linked to the day and night cycle. Uh, We don't really need to answer why that is. It's an interesting question. There's plenty of stuff to look into. All that matters is that it is. And your body has designed its systems uh, around those cycles. The signal, very obviously, is light itself. Now, light is not just light. It's not like zero to 5,000, right? And it's like, oh, 5,000 is really bright and zero is, and it's just like a single variable that like goes, right? Light is made up of many different spectrums of light, all with different qualities, many of which we probably don't understand very well at all. Many sub-qualities and sub-spectrums. Light is quite literally a spectrum. It is a continuous spectrum from ultraviolet through infrared and beyond, but we'll stick to ultraviolet to infrared. So sunlight UVA, UVB, also UVC, not really as critical in circadian pathways, visible light through all the colors, you know, blue, orange, yellow, green, red, all these colors. And then red, uh, near infrared, infrared. Um, And all of those components have different biological impacts. Light is insanely bioactive. If you don't believe me, Go sit in a perfectly dark room for 48 hours. You will lose your goddamn mind. Like if you like, this is so simple. Just think about how you would feel. Just think about how you would feel in total darkness for 48 hours, right? Like light is bioactive. It's not just like your psychology reacting to something you don't like. It's that your system goes goddamn haywire. Um, And so light isn't just the single variable. It's all of these spectra. It's all of these different components. Each of them has its own impact on our biology. Blue light functions very differently than red light. UVB, very differently than UVA. Uh, Red, infrared, very differently from red. And you can't, you just, you can't reduce it. Something I post about a lot is that in modern science, like the epistemology is that like, knowledge is achieved by reduction, meaning we like reduce everything to its like most component bits. But if you do that all the way, the only thing which exists are like elementary particles. 
And what does that tell you about anything? That tells you nothing about anything. Like knowing that I'm made up of neutrons and protons and electrons and quarks doesn't tell you how my heart works. Doesn't tell you how my circadian, like it tells you shit about fuck. Um, and so there's a way in which reduction can, sure, it can like teach us stuff, but it can also blind us to things because knowledge can sometimes only happen on the level of the whole, on the level of the gestalt. And so I take that approach with sunlight. Like we can go round and round and I can make an argument for why every individual spectrum is unique and why your fucking light bulb doesn't mimic it. Or we can just say sunlight is different than artificial light categorically you can't substitute it it's a it's a whole it's a gestalt and your entire system uh is is yoked to it it's bound to it it is and you need it in your eyes you need it on your skin uh some spectrums penetrate your body they hit the inside of your body um one of the things i love to throw out there for people is infrared light will penetrate you like six inches and it will literally strike the water in your mitochondria, which are the energy centers, and it will make that water less viscous. So if you imagine there's, there's literally a rotary motor in a mitochondria, it spins. Imagine a rotary motor spinning through mud versus spinning through clear water. It's able to spin a lot more efficiently through clear water. And that is what infrared light striking your body in, you know, in kind of a, like a, parallel does and so this is so much more than a vitamin d story everyone knows vitamin d and it's been insanely co-opted because they think you can just take a pill you can't just take a pill it's not the same thing there's a whole pathway and sub metabolites and metabolites and um everyone knows vitamin d yeah vitamin d matters get your vitamin d get that uvb on your skin develop a nice tan look good feel good but it's so much more. It's light in the eyes. It's, it's internal light sensors in the brain. It's your body's like, it's such a complex story. And so I'll close with, I will go as far to say, and like, there's no meta analysis of this. I'm not basing this off a study. Like you can't, like, you can't do this thing. But I personally would say that light is like probably more important than diet. I think it is probably like, you know, a bit more like, you know, diet matters. If you like, you know, if you don't eat any food, you'll starve to death. You'll be completely depleted in nutrients. But like, if you had to ask me to pick between eating McDonald's every day and never going outside, um, or like going outside in some sort of weird bubble where I can still like live my life, but the light never hits me. I'm picking the light. I'll, I'll eat McDonald's if I can have a good light environment. Um, so again, you know, it's hard to compare those things, but I, I truly believe that's the case. Wow. That's a bullet statement right there. I actually have never thought about that because those both sound horrible to be honest. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like McDonald's actually hey, McDonald's. You, what, what, you know, what do I have? Do I have to eat everything or can I just get some patties and, you know, the lettuce and <laughs> I'll, I'll eat some fake cheese, I guess, instead of the fries. But no, that's a good point. I mean, seriously, well, you just said a lot of great things, right? And I do want to keep it maybe highish level. I mean, we can dive into some rabbit holes, but at first, you know, the, the way I think about it is light is like, it's like the main input signal to our biology, 
like just straight up. So if you block that in input signal, your body is not going to have the most optimal, you know, responses. You, there's going to be things that are affected downstream. Like you mentioned circadian biology, like your circadian rhythm is your biological clock that dictates, you know, all the fluctuations that happen in your body on a, on a 24 hour basis. And, you know, that includes what most people are familiar with is like melatonin, cortisol, wakefulness, restfulness, these, and these are the two, you know, most conceptually understood uh, maybe components of, of that because people just, they're aware of it and people always harp on how bad cortisol is, even though that's literally what gives you energy in the morning, provides wakefulness. And, you know, that's stimulated by morning light, by blue light. But so that's important, I think. And melatonin, of course, that's why, you know, bright lights at night are, are bad. You don't want to suppress melatonin production, blue light. But in general, like that's input signal from full spectrum sunlight. So keeping it high level, what is full spectrum sunlight look like? And in the morning... You know, it's red, near infrared, heavy with some blue. And then throughout the day, you, you get more spectrums. You get UVA and then you get UVB and then those go away again. And then it's just blue, red, near infrared. And then it's just red and near infrared. And then the sun sets. And then there's no light from nature besides the moon, maybe. And that's pretty, you know, low in intensity, of course. Half so it's yeah. half a lux. I've measured it. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because that that I've never measured it, but that you know that's nothing. That's literally like a dark room, and even though our eyes are so our eyes are so photoreceptor sensitive, like they can pick out one photon and like yeah, you know exactly. one drop of water in like a swimming pool. It's absurd, and yeah. So real quick, so the reason I did this is because one night it was a full moon, and I was like. It was a full moon. That was my next question. If it was, it's so bright. Well, it's, so it's a little bit higher on a full moon, but it was like, it was so bright out here. Like, huh? Cause I think about light at night. I'm like, what if there was like some like cyclical light at night during the full moon there? Cause it's kind of blue too. It's a little blue. Um, but I went and measured it. It was like one lux on the full moon, half a lux if it's not a full moon. So like, just, I mean, most people don't even understand what a light that low looks like. Like, I use very, very dim lights in my house at night, like red spectrum only, very, very dim. I'll use three lux. And like, you know, people like can't even function um, sometimes. But this is this is half a lux or one lux. So it's there. It's, it's minute. Yeah. So, so lux, if you're not familiar, is just the measure of brightness, also denominated sometimes in, in lumens, right? So it's like the average room during the day or outside – brightness is like tens of thousands yeah. of, of lux or lumens and then at night it should be you know a lot less maybe in the hundreds low thousands um still when the sun is is up but if you turn on lights in a room it'll be like hundreds of, of lux so we're talking about you know, hundreds of fold of magnitude compared to like the moon so basically it's nothing it's dark so what does that mean? That means anything that you do that's outside of this natural spectrum of light that's available that would be available to us and that before 1860 or 1870s did not exist in other than the forms of fire and you know candlelight which are also very low lux low brightness and majority like red infrared um 
they just wouldn't have existed. So you're altering your biological response to light with these external artificial stimuli. Absolutely. You're completely hijacking it. And it affects everything. It affects everything. It uh, affects mental health. It affects insulin production. It affects weight gain. It affects dopamine, eye health. Like it's just, there's, it's not benign. Uh, you can't escape it. Your system doesn't know how to deal with the constant light environment. Uh, and certainly not in these like skewed spectrums. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, talking about light at night is often more complicated than uh, talking about sun. I think sun is even easier to get people like, to go outside. And you'll get a lot from that. But getting people to restructure their, their light environment at night is a challenging one. Yeah, I agree. I think it's probably the hardest part. Um, it, and depending on the time of year or where you live, I mean, right now for me, it's actually pretty easy. Um, and, you know, what do you do in your house and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, in the summer right now in Wyoming, I mean, it's it's light out to like 9, 930. I straight up, I don't turn any lights on, like in my house during the day. There's there's enough light from the sun and I open all the windows. So that's something you can do if you're inside, open all the windows. And, and maybe we could talk about glass as well a little bit. But at night, I, and then I just go to bed. But you know, what, what do you do in winter in, in Florida, for example, like you just have red light bulbs or, or what, what do you do? Yeah. So I have red light bulbs and, you know, red light filters on every screen and like, you know, maybe the sun, you know, in winter, maybe it's setting at seven, seven thirty. It's still not too bad compared to some places. Uh, but you know, I've, I have a light meter and so I've measured all those light bulbs. I keep them around three Lux, uh, which mm. from what I've read is like the sweet spot. Like even if it's red, if it's too bright, it can disrupt stuff. Like you don't want a super bright red yeah. light. Uh, but I have basically like three Lux, uh, red lights. And so I'll use those at night and yeah, maybe I'll, I'll watch a show or I'll read a book or I'll do whatever, like, you know, is it like perfection? No, it's not perfection. Does it really matter that much? Like, no, like the difference between what I do and just having lights on at night and the difference between what I do and just like total darkness at night is, I mean, like, like orders of magnitude on that side and very small on this side. So, you know, and especially for people that are adapting to this, like, yeah, like I'm not asking you to just sit in the dark once the sun goes down, you know, cause like one of the things that we had evolutionarily is that's not what people did. You had a fire first of all. So that's a level of light. That's a level of red light. So it's, it's pretty consistent, but you were around other people. You talked, you told stories, right? Like, mm -hmm all like kind of living in these houses right so i get it like you want something to do you don't just want to sit there that's fine get some very dim red lights and run those at night and that's the place to start yeah i think again with all these modalities it's like just strive for some sort of improvement um they're like perfection is not the end goal it's actually impossible so like yeah. forget about it it's literally impossible to achieve perfection especially in a light environment you know, it's impossible in, in many facets of like optimizing health. So it shouldn't be the end goal. It should just be, you know, how can I make some improvements? And, you know, the, the screen filtering is a big one. And I've been doing this for like yeah. four years. And I think it's like the easiest thing to do. You could just look it up like in your settings, 
these people have like I, I've had some triple click setting now that it just automatically goes. I personally, I just keep my screens like red or orange all day because then I don't have to really like change it back and forth. I mean, maybe at like after the sunset, I'm super dark red or in the morning, like super dark red. Um, or I just wear blue light blocking glasses and that then I don't even have to worry about changing it from like orange to red. And yeah, you know, they, they look weird. Screens are red, orange, and people will be like, oh, what's that about? And then, hey, I mean, you could tell them. And people are pretty aware of blue light being bad for them. They think it's a scam or they're like, yeah, my glasses are like blue light blocking. And you look at them, they're like clear lenses. Yeah. Those are doing absolutely nothing. But, you know, <laughs> I guess they've heard of it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of small things you can do. And again, a lot of these things, I mean, yeah, blue light blocking glasses costs, you know, maybe 70 to 90 bucks for, for a decent pair, a cheaper pair, maybe less, but a lot of these things don't cost anything or, you know, you could be saving money or turning the lights off more and, um, all this. Um, so it's, it's pretty easy from, I think, uh, an entry, there's no requirements and, I think it, that can make a, a big difference. Um, so that's a night. Morning. What is what is Stephen doing every every morning in terms of light and, and sun? So I just I just wake up and pretty much first thing I just I just go out in my yard and I'll spend you know kind of an hour, you know either walking around or sitting if I'm you know waking up slower. But just you know I'm in just like shorts and nothing else and just getting the sun on my skin sun in my eyes, just like, that's how I start my day. And it's incredible, man. Like, you know, within 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like the most incredible sense of wakefulness and energy and like your, your whole system just comes alive. It's better than coffee. Like I won't even drink coffee for like two hours. Like it's mm. not like a wake up thing for me. I'll be fully awake, fully alert from the sun. And then I drink it cause I enjoy it. But it's like, you just, you completely come alive that morning. That morning sun's probably the most important, right? That's probably the most important. Like, uh, get out there, see it, wake up that way. It's critical. Anybody can do it because you can do it before work. Like, uh, you know, I know for like young parents that work and have to drive their kids to school really early in the morning, I hear you. That's complicated. I'm sure you'll figure it out. And, you know, your kids won't be that young forever, but um just put it, the windows down when you're driving it's florida it's you don't you know it's not that cold <laughs> yeah something something you'll figure it out i mean get 15 minutes do you know whatever it is i mean your kids need it too not to not to lecture you but like they're developing so maybe try you know i i know it's hard but um but yeah i mean that that morning sun is just critical and then you know it's i mean i'm outside all day man you know, and, 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 you know, and you adapt, right? Like I'm, uh, I'm in Florida. I'm, uh, I'm Fitzpatrick type two skin. Like I'm in a high UV environment. Like I have blonde hair and blue eyes and I'm typically very pale. I'm tan now. Like you adapt. Uh, it's gradual. It takes time. You do it over time. Um, but start that process and, you know, let's like, and like, it goes without saying, but I'll say it because, I'm not telling you to go get a sunburn. Like, yeah, sunburns are bad. Like they, they do increase your risk for skin cancer. If you're just going and getting a peeling sunburn, you know, every day, like that's like, come on, you know, that's not good. It feels like shit. Like the sun feels good, 
but stop before it feels bad. It's so simple. Like sunburns feel bad. Sun feels good. Don't like, don't, you know, like, uh, drinking water feels good. If you drink too much water, it feels bad. Like same sort of thing, right? Like there's such a thing as too much. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with the literature about like sun, like getting sunburns constantly increasing certain risks. That's damage, but you build it up, build up a tolerance, go out in the sun, stop before you burn repeat. Yeah. I was, I mean, that was, was what I was going to ask next is kind of like building up that solar cows, but the morning sun is for sure. I, I mean, I think everyone, fine. yeah, morning sun's fine. You're not going to burn in the morning. Yeah, no, no. But I think that being like, if you had to choose, like if you have like 20 minutes, let's say that's all you have, like go outside first thing in the morning, because that's just going to set off like, you know, all the downstream biological processes that, that need to happen. And yeah, if you need to drive to work, if you need to drive to your kids to school, like, put your windows down. Like there are things you can do that you don't even realize, like any sort of indirect photons, like on your eye. So as well, something that is important is, is naked eye, right? Like, so if you're driving, you might need to wear like glasses or contacts, but when you go outside first thing in the morning during sunrise, like really it should be with nothing correct interfering with, with, with your eye. And yeah, obviously if you can spend more time outside, it would be great to get like a little bit. So anything is better than nothing, but it'd be great to get a little bit of each, you know, spectrum when it's changing. So like right in the morning, you're, you're getting kind of just the basic red infrared and some blue, but then the UVA and B comes later. So it'd be great to get, you know, more of this. Cause obviously you need UVB to, to produce vitamin vitamin D and, and, and you know, the benefits of that, most of the listeners, but again, try and get anything more than nothing. But if you are trying to build your solar callus, what have you found that worked well for you? I guess when you first like moved to Florida to, you know, not get sunburned, were you kind of just easing into it? Were you just doing more morning and, and nighttime or yeah. How do you, how do you gauge that? I know it is simple, but sometimes I'm just like doing stuff and I'll get a little red, not like a bad sunburn, but I'm just like playing a sport. I'm hiking and I'm like, yeah, I'm outside. So how are, what are some things people can do to avoid getting really sunburned when they're outside? Yeah. So I think it's so morning sunlight's most important. Like you said, just if you're going to do something, just get that morning sunlight, get it everywhere. That's the single most important thing you can do if you're only going to do one thing. Uh, But basically, so you want the morning sunlight because it prepares your skin to tan properly and respond. And this is just, it's it's mostly in the eyes. So it's, it is like the UVA and like the red on the skin, but it's mostly your eyes seeing the UVA. So what you said about no contacts, no glasses. Um, I talk to people all the time that have really poor vision, like really, really bad vision. And so it's complicated for them. And I tell them like, look, midday you can wear glasses. Like it's not ideal, but it's less critical. What What's happening midday, it's more about the brightness, the visible light rather than the UV specifically. But in the morning, you need that UV hitting your cornea and that will be blocked by the glasses. So if you have really poor vision, 
plop a chair down in your yard and just fucking sit there for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And if you can't see, you can't see like, it's okay. Don't, you know, operate heavy machinery. Um, but you got to do that in the morning. It's going to prepare your system to tan, to have an appropriate melanin response to UVB and to also like, you'll get less damage. Like it actually, like that, one of the reasons a lot of these studies are very limited is because there's no control for circadian rhythm, the whole spectrum of sunlight. Half the time they're just using isolated UV light with no other spectrum, which doesn't exist in nature. So it's a process, right? But so that early morning, and then you want to go out like noon, one, two, but stop before you burn. And even like, you're going to get a little pink in the beginning and that's fine. Like, you know, like it, it goes away the next day. If there's no pain, there's no peeling, uh, it's maybe like a little pink, it, it goes away in a few hours of the next day or something. That's going to be normal in the beginning, not a big deal. Ideally, you get like, that doesn't happen to me anymore. And like, it's more complicated. Like, you know, you're in a you're in an environment where like, there isn't sun all the time. So like, you're losing your tan in the winter, and then you're rebuilding it. So you're always in this like, kind of rebuilding phase where but you know, if you're in a more constant light environment, UV environment, um, like for me, that doesn't happen anymore, even if I'm out like a lot. Um, so like, ideally, you get to a point where that doesn't happen. I don't think it's really a big deal if it does. But um, you want to get to a point where you're not like pink all over, like you're maybe a little pink here on your chest or like the top of your shoulder, right? Like these kind of very, like you get a little pink there, a little pink here, it goes away the next day, no big deal. But you got to go out kind of midday to get that UV exposure. And that's what's really going to start building the tolerance. Um, but it's consistency. So one of the other things that skews the research, intermittent sun exposure is much more risky than consistent sun exposure. So what this is, is like they have people that like, Maybe they qualify in the high sun exposure group, but like, imagine it's like you work a nine to five and then you're outside all day, Saturday and Sunday, but Monday through Friday, you're just constantly indoors, no sun exposure. That would be intermittent sun exposure. So that is much riskier in terms of what negatives exist than consistent sun exposure. You want to strive for consistency, not like you do it one day on the weekend, you get a lot of sun and then you stay indoors. So that's, you know, as much when you're building that callus, you're building that tan, you know, just in general health, you, you want to get to a place where you are giving your skin and your body these consistent inputs. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important is, is the consistency from a daily perspective, not just like an hourly, oh, I was outside from, you know, on Saturday for like eight hours. So that's yeah. when you're going to get fried like a lobster and, and not realize it. But yeah, in general, um, yeah, use common sense, but really think about how much you've been exposed to the sun already. And yeah, use that gauge if, you know, it took... 10, 15 minutes of midday sun exposure and you got a little pink, then it's like, okay, I probably shouldn't just stand out there for 50 minutes. Maybe I just do like five minutes more the next day. And then like you slowly build, it's progressive overload. Like progressive overload is, is, is everything in, in life. And, and I think that's important, but you touch upon a lot of, you know, good points on why the research is flawed. And I think the biggest 
you know, argument we get in on, on Twitter and the biggest, you know, thing that the naysayers point to is, is all this research of skin cancer. And, you know, skin cancer has been shown to be, you know, directly caused by UV sun exposure. And you mentioned a couple good points already that, you know, these are done in isolation. They're not considering, you know, the factors of, you know, lifestyle habits and, you know, intermittent versus consistent sun exposure. Um, yeah. Is, is there anything else you point to there? Like, how do we, how would you design an experiment to show ideally yeah. that sun is, is not detrimental to health and does not cause skin cancer, maybe could exacerbate it or whatever, but is not like the driving cause when done properly? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the way I would do it, the right study, which is almost impossible to do, um, you know, when, when people don't realize the people that don't spend a lot of time thinking about designing scientific experiments, don't realize that there's just so much you can't do. So this is the right study. I'm not optimistic it'll ever happen. You get 10,000 people and 10,000, like you, you get 20,000 people, 10,000 of those people, um, live a completely circadian lifestyle. So they avoid light at night. They're out in the sun all day. They're in the morning. They get it directly. Like, you know, they do the whole thing for 30 years. And then another 10,000 people like live indoors or whatever, or just live a kind of normal, like they live a normal lifestyle, right? Like, um, you know, that's really kind of the only way, like you can maybe get around that if you had like, oh, we identified this like random village on one of these Greek islands where like everyone's already doing that anyways. But like you need a longitudinal study of people that like soup to nuts are living the whole way because like artificial light at light at night disrupts your circadian rhythm, which disrupts this, like it's called like an S phase cycle. Your skin has a rhythm. There's a time where it repairs and there's a time where it like protects. And if your skin's in the repair phase, as UV is hitting it, it can sustain damage. Right. But it's because it, your, your skin thinks it's nighttime, but it's daytime. Right. So like you can't, so first of all, most of these studies are not really like the, the cellular studies and the clinical studies are not, they're not done on sunlight. They're done on UV light from a laser or a bulb. It's already like vastly different. The ones that are actually done on sunlight are like meta analysis of like, or like they're like population studies. They're like, uh, well, we're going to look at Australia, which is like higher UV and we're going to compare it to Europe. And they find that Australia has higher skin cancer. Now, people conclude that, well, it's because the sunlight UV. What's another explanation for why that might be the case? Well, we know for a fact, right? Like, I don't deny this, that getting sunburns will increase your melanoma risk. If you have a bunch of white people in Australia that are living modern lifestyles in a very high UV environment, what's the chance they get more sunburns than people in Europe? Probably really goddamn high. So you're not actually separating sunburns from appropriate consistent sun exposure there. So they're not doing like clinical studies with actual sunlight. They're doing it with UV light and the population studies are like ridiculously confounded. 
Um, and you can and you can find studies that say the opposite, right? Like I can find a million studies that say outdoor workers have lower rates of melanoma than indoor workers. I can find conflicting studies on basal cell, squamous cell. There's probably some increase, but that's like 99.99% survival rate. It's just like a little patch. You get it rubbed off when you're 60. It's just not a big deal relative to the benefits. Like there's probably something there. The melanoma week is in, link is incredibly weak in many ways. It's like office workers get it at the highest rates. It's skyrocketing everywhere. People are avoiding the sun and melanoma rates are increasing 5% a year. So like melanoma, no. Basal cell, highly inconclusive. Squamous cell, yeah, maybe, but it, it like you gotta you gotta weigh the trade-offs, man. Like it's sun highest sun exposure groups, like 60% less chance of breast cancer, like 45% less chance of pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, stomach cancer, brain cancer. Like, what do you want? The really bad shit that'll fucking kill you? Or when you're 65, you go to the dermatologist once a year and they use a free spray on a little freckle. Like, come on, like, they're not the same. Like one of them will completely fuck up your entire life. The other is like, when you're old, you might go get like a spot frozen off. Yeah, I think that's something that's really overlooked as well. I mean, for sure, epidemiological studies, which if you're not familiar with, are basically like surveys of populations that they group together and there's almost no way for them to control on all the independent variables and independent factors. And, and they say they do for some things. Um, but in reality, like in order for those to be like actually clinically relevant, the risk profile needs to be so high that it's undeniable. So like smoking cigarettes causing lung cancer is like an 11 to 20 fold increase of risk. So it's like it needs to be that high to be like clinically relevant. Like, you know, I wrote all about like meat increasing cancer was like a 12% increase, which is a, a joke. From and that's a starting point. Relative. Like, that's a relative know. risk. Relative. Yes. So yeah. absolute risk increase. I did the math in the book. It was like going from like 4.3% to like 4.5%. So it's actually like a total joke. So, so it's the same thing. Like there's a huge problem with, with epidemiology logical studies that that the average person doesn't realize and those are usually what's you know uh, referenced in a lot of these you know headlines or, or dermatologist recommendations so in reality there are no good studies um of populations unless they went and did some on like hunter gatherers and things like that but again skin cancer prevalence at a societal level is only you know up and to the right so whatever we're doing now is, is, is not working. So I think that's an important thing to realize. But in general, if you're smart about your sun exposure, there should be no risk. And no one wants to get sunburn and, you know, cumulative sunburns, uh, you know, wrinkle and age your skin faster anyway. Um, but yeah, the point about the cancers. I'm looking this up, man. I'm look, I just looked up these numbers. So like Europe versus Australia. And so Australia has like high. Oh, yeah rates right it's a difference of like 20 cases in europe per hundred thousand people to 36 cases per hundred thousand people so like yeah it's higher but we're talking about but that absolute risk increase is really not that high at all it's all yeah. relative yeah let me get let me let me let me just do that math real quick let me 
we can pull up a calculator. Uh, but again, the the point on Australia why you do that is like you're taking a population that's also you know European based, right? They're not built, but they're also they're wearing sunglasses, they're wearing sunscreen, like they're doing all the wrong things, uh, and then really in a super high UV environment, um, getting exposed to the sun. So, so it's looking like a point zero three chance versus a point zero four chance of getting yeah. it. So. Really, what are we obsessing about? It's a one percent increase. Like you yeah. said, it's not saying that it like is just unilaterally the sun that's causing it. It's saying like, you know, my hypothesis with the Australia data is just that like people get more fucking sunburns. Like they're getting burnt a lot. They're Europeans down in like one of the highest UV environments on the planet. They're not doing it appropriately. They're just going to the beach. They have like bad circadian habits. They have bad light habits. Like you know. They're using sunscreen all the time and then it rubs off and they forget about it and their skin's totally unprepared and they get burned, right? So it, it's it's reasonable to think like, okay, like it's a Chemical risk- sunscreens too. Yeah, it's a riskier environment for these sorts of people because it's just higher stakes. It's not that your body can't adapt to that higher intensity, but it's that your body needs to adapt to that. It's like, it's literally like saying like you have two gyms. One of them, when you go into dead and like it's first time deadlifters, people that have never deadlifted before. And in one of the gyms, the starting weight is like 135. It's the bar and 245 plates. But at this other gym, the starting weight, they won't let you lift unless it's 225. It's two plates. That gym's going to have higher injury rates, not because deadlifts are bad, but because you're having everybody start at a higher intensity. And, you know, it's a similar thing. I think people underestimate how little sun Europe gets actually. Um, and I, and I've, I've used this as like a pro like Rocky mountain region because we get, well, first off the latitudes are, are actually like I'm equivalent to like Italy and yeah. in Wyoming. And then the sun level is the same. It's like, we're, we're equivalent here to like Spain and almost Northern Africa levels. And then like Phoenix and Florida or Arizona, New Mexico, Florida, you guys are, are definitely Northern Africa levels of like sun exposure, whereas like Scandinavia and central Europe is, is so much less sun. So you have to think about that. It's all context, right? So yeah, the, the risk profile inherently, if you just move down to Florida or you're in Australia, uh, which is even lower or, you know, lower latitude in terms of difference to the equator. Um, yeah, your, your UV is, is much higher. So, it, it all matters in terms of context, but I, I think that encapsulates it well is, guys, what did we say at the beginning of this podcast, right? Like, if it was working, the recommendations, skin cancer rates would be going down, you know, people would be healthier, uh, everyone would be happier. This is not the case at all, right? Like, this is why we're Bitcoiners, because yeah. we question the mainstream narrative. So I don't understand when people are just sending us studies, isolated light studies that are probably done under blue light and taking UV in isolation without the more restorative healing red and infrared wavelengths from full spectrum sunlight, shining them on people who live cons- uh, completely inconsistent ancestral lifestyles in terms of light habits probably do eat, you know, we didn't even talk about diet, seed oils, you know, that's, that's a big one for sunburn. It can make a difference because polyunsaturated fats that are oxidized can get into the cell membrane and oxidize and, and disrupt your mitochondria, like probably less important than light maybe, but 
evidently people are unhealthier. Their tolerance for oxidative stress is going to be lower and cancer rates and chronic disease rates are going to be higher. So come on, guys. <laughs> I think the best thing to point to here is data out of Asian countries. So Asian countries are very fixated on sun avoidance, like light skin. Yes very prioritized China, Japan, South Korea, tons of skin whitening. Uh, they avoid the sun very heavily. Even there, melanoma rates up, 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 up to the right. And it's not sampling bias. People will be like, oh, well, maybe people are going to the doctor more. People are not going to the doctor more in 2020 versus 2010 or 2010 versus like, no, people are not going to the doctor more 5% per year. Like, right? Like you're saying, like melanoma rates are going up three, five percent per year. It's not like there's this like everyone's as a population is just flooding the doc. We've been going to the doctor as a society, you know, for the last 30 or 40 years, 50 years. Like that didn't change. It's not sampling bias. Like melanoma rates are legitimately up everywhere on the globe. But we can look to Asian countries for like that's like nirvana for sun avoider doctors. If, if, if like, that's like, that's the population that takes that recommendation, like really seriously. And they're still getting these exploding melanoma rates. Yeah. And maybe final point is what, what has changed, you know, artificial light exposure, time spent indoors, yep. you know, outdoor exposure, outdoor light, all going down artificial stuff all going up so it's all context dependent and guess what you know if if the if the sun really caused skin cancer and like killed people i mean we wouldn't be here you know we literally lived outside for hundreds of thousands of years but guess what our ancestors weren't stupid they didn't spend all day in the bright you know really uh you know, high radiation UV. They weren't they, laying they were, back yeah, on the they weren't tanning. Africa. Like that's not what they're doing, right? I've I've made this point too, because also like I think walking is a supernatural way to get sun exposure. Mm -hmm. Why? You're constantly getting the sun from different angles because you're walking, you're in and out of shade. It's it's not just like I'm going to lay and it's just going to bake one side of my body direct at the highest intensity for hours. Like, you know, you're moving around, it's hitting you from different angles. It's, you're getting it in different ways. You're under a tree, you're not under a tree. Like it's this very organic process. Uh, and so again, like if you, if, if that's like a control and like what we're saying is like people on a Miami rooftop, like laying on the sun lounger, just like baking, that's that's also not like super evolution. Like I'm not saying that's like bad or whatever. Or you shouldn't do that, but it's obviously like a higher intensity than what you would get otherwise. Yeah, no the the shade thing's really important. And I mean, you look at the melanin melanin levels of you know like sub-Saharan Africans, right? Like they're 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 dark. They're it's for a reason, right? Uh, but they still went into shade, and, and that's kind of natural protect but that input signal was still there for the light because they're outside so again it's all context dependent think logically right people at the end of the day were we meant to be in the sun yes are you of european skin fair descent probably a lot of us are so you are technically biologically designed to be able to adapt faster get tan faster but also burn faster so use yeah. that context uh and then the the adverse is true if you are of african descent 
you really should not be living at like northern latitudes. And if you are, you need to be really deliberate about sun exposure because it's going to take two, three, four X as long to generate all the benefits um, from, you know, sun exposure. So that's, you know, actually we have more flexibility, um, but we have to be more careful. So that, that all matters. But yeah, I guess final thoughts on sun here. Yeah. And there's even enormous variation among Europeans, right? Like, yes, the Swedes get dark. Like, I don't know why, but they tan. Whereas like the Irish like do not. Uh, so even among Europeans, there's True. like huge variation. Like I tan, but I also know people who didn't tan and then tanned. Like I know people whose body, I don't have any data on this. This is anecdotal. Well, red hair, I think red hair, there's some like genetic mutation in like the conversion of like going from generating more pheomelanin to like eumelanin. I, I've read one paper on it, but I'm not totally sure. So, so I have a friend who's Irish, red hair, green eyes, um would like get freckles they just get freckles if they're in the sun but then she started just like working outside in florida she's like yeah you know, and she started tanning i don't like i don't know i i think that's probably more so the reason but there is something in there from like a biological perspective that's a little i don't know gingers are mutant and i'm a little ginger so i guess i can say that <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah it's just essential it's simple like So closing thoughts, like I can put a pile of studies that back up everything I'm saying and everyone that argues with me can get a pile of studies that says, you know, UV light's super bad and you should, you know, drink sunscreen and like, you know, and then we can debate for months about the validity and the design of those studies and even like the data because we live in the replication crisis and so many academics have been basically sued for falsifying data and who knows like science is not neutral data is not neutral it's fallible in the same human ways as everything else that's an exhausting black hole to go into right like it's just it's exhausting let's let's start from first principles let's just keep our heads on straight um We grew up, we evolved, every fucking creature on this planet evolved in the sun. The sun is good for you. Like, there's such a thing as too much. You know what it feels like. It feels bad. Too much feels bad. The right amount feels good. Do the thing that feels good and avoid the thing that feels bad. Like, let's just, let's keep this simple. Like, the sun is not bad for you. Don't get burned. Like, be reasonable if you're driving a car 90 miles per hour on the highway, you can wear sunglasses. Like if you're in your backyard, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, there it is, right? Like, do we really trust like academia and, and, and the mainstream medical science? And and I have I have a book in front of me that encapsula- encapsulates this well from Robert O. Beckers. In 1985, he wrote this about, you know, research in the medical system medical community and it says the present system is in effect a dogmatic religion with a self-perpetuating priesthood dedicated only to preserving the current orthodoxies so you know and if you don't know who robert obecker is and body electric you should Mm. you should read this it's a great book and it'll open your eyes about a lot of things but in general it's your own life we're just trying to empower you through education and you can make your own decision but I do want to talk about Bitcoin a little bit. So you you still got a little bit of time? Yeah, I got a little bit. Let's do another 10 minutes. Okay. So yeah, Bitcoin, 
macro situation swan what yeah i guess what what do you do at swan yeah let me and, maybe i'll uh, introduce quick, myself quick introduction <laughs> yeah 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 so you know hour and a half in i'll introduce myself but um so i actually run i actually run the private wealth team for swan bitcoin so actually what i do as a day job has pretty much nothing to do with this except that i'm pretty well known on bitcoin twitter for this stuff so i don't know kind of merging but um I, uh, we do a white glove concierge service for high net worth investors. So I work with family offices and wealthy individuals that are navigating the Bitcoin space. And, uh, you know, we're basically the leading concierge team. What that means is like, unlike Coinbase and these exchanges, like we're on the phone with clients. We're helping them navigate these, these transactions, accounts, trust accounts, retirement accounts, business accounts, corporate accounts, all these sort of things. Uh, so we do a ton there. Uh, we're the largest kind of concierge service in the Bitcoin space. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's been, a, it's been, a, I've done that for the last basically three years since we launched the private client team. So I lead it, I've led it for the last three years uh, and it's, you know, grown to be a very large part of Swan's business. Awesome. So just cutting to, you know, some important things. There's a lot going on in the, in the Bitcoin space right now, you know, ETFs, um, being approved or more people filing. I saw like Fidelity thing today. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's looking up. We're going into the having, you know, next year in 2024, a lot of mining companies are, are doing anything they can to expand their operations to mine more Bitcoin uh, before the having, of course. So yeah, I guess, how do you see everything that's going on in the macro environment kind of laid out, you know, interest rates, they're paused, but maybe a couple more raises and then, you know, we're kind of at an unprecedented time here with, with the rates being so high, you know, debt payments at the federal level are, are extremely high. Bitcoin seems to be inversely correlated or at least breaking correlation to the trad markets. Um, yeah. How do you kind of see things right now? Are, are you bullish on these ETFs? You think they're kind of, you know, just more BS from the trad system. And do you think there is, I personally think that there's going to be a, you know, a very deflationary event soon from this dramatic rise in interest rates. But how do you see kind of the, the 12 to 18 months here? Um, yeah. Not, and not in price prediction or anything, just yeah, yeah, yeah. concerns, you know, things that, that you're looking at that are really interesting and, and the decisions the Fed has, has made. You think they're correct, good, bad, or you're still waiting for this soft landing? Yeah, no, I mean, don't think the Fed is, uh, I, I don't think, in many ways, I don't think the Fed should exist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, not even the same argument that most people make, but I believe in natural interest rates. I believe that markets set interest rates through organic transactions between lenders and borrowers, and any attempt to centrally manage interest rates is flawed. It just is flawed. Like, you, like a central agency does not know what the price of time should be because that's what interest is we're pricing how how the fuck are you supposed to determine what the right number is so uh no i don't think there i think you know i think a lot of the problems we've seen are the result of fed policy decisions of artificially keeping rates at the zero bound for far too long and low and then artificially jacking those rates up to higher levels neither of those decisions was correct um that being said uh, I've been on the record since uh, kind of the Bitcoin conference. I did an interview with Kitco News and I said, you know, my 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 
top for rates is six, six and a half percent. Not saying we get there. I'm saying we just don't go higher than there. Meaning I think we're much closer to the end than the beginning. I think that's obvious. I've been saying this from before the pause. Uh, so, you know, are they going to pause for a while is like, you know, maybe another 25 basis points, maybe two more 25. Sure. Whatever. I don't care about predicting with that level of minutia. The, the broad strokes is that they're almost done. Uh, and my basic heuristic for relating to modern financial markets is asset prices must go up. The solvency, there's too much debt, there's too much leverage. The system cannot sustain a prolonged and severe drawdown in asset prices. Tax receipts collapse and fall off a cliff. And, you know, then basically it's either like stop spending, default on the debt, or print the difference. And the option would always be print the difference, which even if we got there would then drive asset prices right back up, right? So there's this this kind of way that like it just can't you can't have like a 10 year bear market it just doesn't it doesn't exist at these levels of leverage and debt so asset prices will go up um they will ease they will stimulate um but also something i'll say is i'm increasingly convinced that the fed is no longer uh driving the car here um and that it's really the fiscal authority and the treasury and that what is really more dominant in this market is fiscal spending. And so the Fed could keep rates here or they could lower rates a little bit. But what really matters is, is the Treasury going to keep spending into the economy? And are they going to increase that rate of spending? And my answer to both is yes. Uh, I think we're going to see a huge amount of spending for decarbonization, for reindustrialization, for reshoring. The last two, totally agree with. First one, I think we should do with nuclear, but yes, agree with it there. I think, you know, decarbonizing via big investments in nuclear energy, I think that's the way. I think best of both worlds. But um, I think, I don't think that's what they're going to spend it on, but I, that would be the way to do it. Um, but yeah, they're going to they're going to spend for decarbonization, they're going to spend for reindustrialization, they're going to spend for reshoring, and they're going to spend for social programs. And even if the Fed keeps rates at like whatever the fuck at 2 or 3 or 4%, if that happens, like you're still looking at the stimulatory effect. What people don't get, I'm a skeptic of uh the modern narrative on like rate hikes ability to control inflation. It's not that they don't do anything, but let's look at Argentina. In Argentina, the interest rate is like over 40% or something, like might be wrong, maybe 30%, 40%. It's very high, much higher than here. There is a 20% tax anytime you transfer someone money in your bank account. So if I send you $1,000 in Argentina from my bank to your bank, they take 20% of it automatically. Um, and like sales taxes, other taxes are super high. This is like a high rate environment on absolute anabolic steroids. And inflation is still over 100%. To me, that shows you can't just bring it down with rates, right? It's because it, that's, that's, that's not what inflation is, right? Inflation is, well, inflation is increasing the money supply, like full stop. That's what it is. And then consumer price increases can happen because of monetary inflation, 
but they can also happen because of your fundamental economic condition, supply and demand, the goods you're producing, what your exports and imports are. So it's just not the full picture. Like, you know, what the U.S. needs is not higher rates. It's growth. It's fundamental development. It is, you know, in some ways it is it is reindustrialization. It is reshoring. It is like it is building a, a U.S. economy that is not this two tiered system where you have service sector workers at McDonald's and Denny's and big box stores and Best Buy making like no money. And then you have tech and finance making all the money. And you have our smartest, best people going to optimize advertising algorithms for Google or Facebook. Like that's not the way you need fundamental development. You need, uh, you know, what's an alternative to synthetic nitrogen fertilizer? How do we change our, you know, transportation? How do we evolve our communication? Like you need these fundamental developments, not... VR, metaverse, headset, advertise, digital, 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 digital. We need physical growth. We need improvements. Um, that's the solution to inflation. I don't know that we're going to get it, but. That's interesting. Yeah, I think for sure, like economic growth, and I, I write about this, is like pretty much like economic growth is the only way to keep like the Ponzi scheme going. But we've seen that in the form of like this crap, right? Like, you know, more processed foods, you know, just tech trying to sell us more and more consumerism and ads and digital things that have no conceptual value. Right. So I, I think that's a really important point. I haven't heard, sorry, it's truck driving by. I haven't heard many people say that is like the economic growth really isn't the issue it's the type of growth and the type of investments that we're making because inherently the ones we've made have no value but if we're you know investing in things like nuclear or transportation infrastructure and things that would actually move society forward uh and and get more people out of you know these social dictatorships that they're in in terms of you know just being at the whims of, of big tech is uh yeah actually might be beneficial for society um but i don't see that happening either yeah it's it's challenging right like it's and that's the thing because like growth and the way we measure it i mean gdp is kind of a scam right like what gdp really is is the velocity of money it's how fast money changes hands that's not the same as growth, right? Like I can engineer an economy where uh, like if I made the tax code 10 times more complicated, more money would change hands, right? Like payments to accountants. We didn't need so many more CPAs and people would be paying those accountants and then those accountants would be buying things. Is that growth? That's not growth. Like we need to redefine what growth is um, in this sense. And it, it needs to be, I've argued that the proper definition of growth should be an expanded ability to exert human will. Full stop. Like more will, more ability for humans to do things in new ways, the way they want to do them and to control the outcomes and the the side effects. Uh, Like that's like on a really rudimentary level, that's like what growth is. We invented technology that allows us to do something we couldn't do or refines our ability to do something we already do in a new way or, or changes. Even I would say like changes, like 
you could start building circadian homes. And I would call that growth, right? Because you're improving the well-being of the population. And then those people are going to be more productive. They're going to be healthier. They're going to have lower healthcare costs, right? So there's a lot of different ways to think about it. But the moral of the story is that making money go faster is not growth. That's just velocity. And growth has to be actual changes in our lives. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. But the but the issue I see with that is just like there's no way that's going to be valued in like the way our system's currently set up. Like I the the healthcare system is set up so that the sick people are spending more money and the economy is making more money. There's more growth from unhealthy people. People like you and I, we're like the government's worst nightmare in terms of economic like input because we're you know we don't need to go to the doctor we don't have six medications you know we don't buy a bunch of random shit from like these big companies but that's just how it's set up now like obviously i think that's because of all the you know decisions that were made over the past 20 30 years they chose the easy way every single time and now we're stuck in this like oh shit yeah we do spend trillions on healthcare. But guess what? That was because that's how we're achieving like this growth. And now what if we, you know, saved, you know, half that money and then invested it into other things and then saw growth in, in that facet? And so that's you, you open up the door to a really important point. Um, and it's like, so why do they need that growth? Like, wait, why yeah, is that? Yeah, you're that's the question. Like the word, like I, I like me and you are probably like the worst case scenario, right? Like, I don't spend, I don't take any medications. I basically don't go to the doctor. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't have anything going on. So like I spend zero money there, but I also like, I don't buy a lot of stuff. Like I'm not a consumer. Like I just save, yep. I fucking save. I save all the money I make like within reason. Like, um, and so like, I'm not doing that. Like, you know, with some, you know, sometimes I do something, like, you know, whatever I buy things I, I want or need. It's just like, I'm not doing that like frivolously. And so like, I'm circulating less money. But so why is that a problem? It's because of the Ponzi nature of the debt scenario, right? It, this is only an issue because we need these ever increasing payments on an ever larger pile of debt. You can, there's no inherent problem with people saving money. It's actually prudent and economies throughout history had that. There is not this inherent thing that like, economic systems collapse if people don't consume. It's just that you get deflation and then deflation makes it harder to pay the debt. Only an over indebted economy has this problem, right? And that brings us back to Bitcoin. And that brings us back to some of these considerations where like the only reason this is an issue, like we should live in an economy where people can save and that's not a threat to the economy where we don't need to juice spending on all of this nonsense to keep the economy going. That's a fragile economy. That's not a healthy economy. People should be able to save their money, their capital, and they should choose to intelligently deploy it at the times that suit them, whether that is in investments. You know, anybody, if presented with an excellent investment opportunity, will want to invest in that. It just needs to be a good one, right? Like people are allowed to sit on their money until an entrepreneur comes to them with a truly excellent idea that they want to support and be part of. 
And that's how it happens. Like we can be more selective with what we give capital to. And this growth model has produced a world where like, it's like spray and pray. It's just like billions of dollars through the venture capital firms. Let's just invest in fucking everything and something will win. Right. Like, um, and ultimately that's all propped up by like a historical easy money environment. And so what would it be like if it was more that like they were more capital constrained, there wasn't this like baseline bailout built into the bedrock of the system and there wasn't this easy money environment. It's like, okay, we've got a hundred million dollars to invest. Um, let's be really selective about who we give it to. Let's give it to real entrepreneurs with good ideas, with a high chance of success. Like that works too. In many ways it could be better um, because you get around this problem of capital misallocation. You get around this issue where like, if we fund uh, WeWork with like billions of dollars and then WeWork hires like 40 of the smartest people in the world to work on fucking gamifying office space, then those people are not working on alternatives to nitrogen fertilizer. They're not working on uh, nuclear power development. They're not like, like the intelligence is not fungible. Human capital talent is not fungible. Like one, like, like a person isn't a person isn't a person. There are geniuses. There are, 10x 100x performers and if you kind of uh cantillon affect all the cheap money to these bloated firms and they hire all of those great people then they're working on facebook they're not working on these other things right and so it, like it all kind of ties together where we're racing against the clock of this debt because we've pursued a debt-based growth model but that's very growth model has created enormous capital misallocation and a fragile economy where we need these ever-increasing Ponzi schemes just to keep the lights on. Uh, and it doesn't work. Yeah, no, totally. We're, yeah, so much talent is just being wasted, I think, with this consumer bullshit model. But my last question is, I know you need to go, is the, you know, how do you see this playing out? Like, it's, you know, we're racing, we're, we're on the last leg here of this debt Ponzi scheme. You know, do you think, you know, there's a natural balancing mechanism and, you know, we have a slow Bitcoin adoption and, and maybe that becomes, you know, more and more popular as people become more empowered. Or do you think, you know, you know, the acceleration of Bitcoin uh, inherently increases rapidly, the velocity increases rapidly and which is probably bad for society It'd be more chaotic, of course. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I've talked a lot about this with people. I talked to Matt Hill from Star Nine, and, and he's definitely of the slow and slow is preferred, and you know ultimately thinks we're gonna win. What what do you think on this? I mean, preferably you want it low and slow. You want enough time for people to own some. Um, these ETFs present an enormous risk to that, right? Like you have BlackRock, you have Fidelity. What happens? American financial capital owns seventy percent of the Bitcoin. You know wealth uh inequality on steroids right like and i'm not i'm not somebody that thinks like you know the world like everyone should have the same amount of money and that's it anyway like a good state of the world like i'm not like 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 a yeah. certain level of like natural variation and inequality is both natural and preferable um but this is like wealth equality on inequality on steroids right like if, if bitcoin does what we think it will do 
and these ETFs come in and all of these assets get wrapped up in U.S. financial markets, like it's, it's super disruptive. Um, so low and slow is absolutely preferable. You don't want this like sudden hyper Bitcoinization. It's, it's not good. It's destabilizing. Um, but to answer your question, I'm kind of going to give you a very unsatisfying answer. And it's that I don't know which way it will go. And nobody does. And you can't know. This is one of those things that like, there's so many pathways that could take it one way or the other that like, you just, you can't predict. Like if every one of your predictions has a 10% margin of error and you have to make 10 predictions, you're wrong. Like you, you, you got it wrong. Like you, one of like, you're wrong for sure. One of them is wrong. And if it relies on all of those things, like you don't know, there's just, there's too much uncertainty in that for anybody to know. So I don't know, but I can say very clearly, I, I hope, I pray it is gradual and non-disruptive. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm the same boat. And of course it's, you know, a rhetorical question what, what nobody knows, but I think what's important is the mindset that you have around the future is being optimistic, right? I, I think it's easy, especially in the health and Bitcoin space to get very negative and yeah, just blow up the world. Bitcoin will go to a million, you know, this would be great. No, it'd be terrible. Um, the quality of life would be very poor. You want it to be gradual. You want more in people, more people to be empowered. But if you're very fearful, if you're not as decentralized as you want to be, you need to take actionable steps to get there and, you know, getting in control of your health through a lot of what we talked about today, uh, be a free or low cost mechanisms. And then, you know, owning Bitcoin, checking out what Swan's doing. That's what you need to do. And that's it. And then one closing thought, um, you said, you said free or low cost. And like, I want to echo that point just for people listening the only reason I talk about this is because it changed my life. I have nothing to sell you. I don't have a product. I don't have a newsletter. I don't have a supplement brand. I don't have a coaching service. I don't have fucking anything. I've never made a single dollar from talking about like the sun or this, like I have no, I have nothing to sell you. The only reason I do this is because it changed my life. And I think it, and I've seen it change other people's lives. Like that, I have like no skin in the game on a financial level. I'm not marketing myself. I don't have a fucking company. Like I do something completely different for work. So, you know, it's, we live in a world of so much promotion and marketing. And so I share that, you know, just to say like, I, I don't, I don't benefit from you believing me on this in any way. I, I just think you should. Steven sponsored by Big Sun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's important. Yeah, and it's hard for me. I'm I'm navigating this this health you know space, and it's Not like that there's it, anything it, wrong with doing that. No, Just no, there. there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's like the things that move the needle the most are low cost and free. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to just shill you a bunch of stuff. And it's like it's so easy to get caught up in supplements and taking the easy way out, but these fundamental lifestyle changes, you know, the best health hacks are free or low cost, you know, like making some swaps, light bulbs, diet swaps, whatever. That will move the needle the most, but it takes actual substantial effort from yourself. So, but Steven's story is empowering. Thank you so much, man, for joining. Yeah, I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. We'll keep the dialogue on Twitter going, everyone. So uh, where can people find you? Uh, last uh, thing that's important. Yeah, just look up my name, Stephen Lupka, on Twitter. Uh, just you know, look for me. Uh, you'll find the profile. Um, and yeah, can I, I'm super active on Twitter. DMs always open. Literally, just reach out. I'm like generally like very responsive to everybody. So I'm 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 just there on Twitter to chat and make friends. Like 
that's really it. Like, I just have a great time. I meet interesting people. I get to have great conversations like this. Like, that's why I'm on Twitter. So reach out. Amazing. Thanks, Steven. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in.